Welcome to DTR Comics. This is JP. I'm Dallas. And I'm T. And we're here with you again this week um, talking about some new comics. Uh, old ex- comics, actually. Old comics. Well, they're new to, from, they're new to me, okay? Uh, yeah, they're new to all of us. <laughs> they're new to all of us. Old, old comics are, old to you, are new to you, JP. And all <laughs> comic books are old to Dallas. <laughs> so it's I've me. heard that story before. Old sage Dallas up on the hill. I just... I'm, we're in the middle of finals week here as college students, and it is atrocious. For one of my finals, I had to learn about this guy that lived up on a pillar for like 30 years. And would just come down for like food and water. But other than that, he just like was up on this pillar. That's how I feel about comic books. Just up there on my pillar of comics knowledge. <laughs> Only come down for food and water. <laughs> this old man doesn't care to know anybody. I don't need new friends. I need new comics. That is that is the truth and, and no strangely topical right now. <laughs> yeah, We need new comics. Just kidding. This has been great. Been able to work through a bunch of backlog. If you're listening to this, that means you like comics. And you know that no new comics are coming out now for COVID-19. So what better time than to read along with us on the random backlog of comics that we go through? They're always fun. So you can do it. That's what's happened to me with the Switch as well. I haven't been buying any new games. And I'm like, guess I'll just pound through chapter nine of Celeste, which is a nightmare. Oh, it's taken me like two weeks and I'm halfway done. Oh, it sounds like a nightmare. I played through just the first side and got it like a fun amount of strawberries. Every time I watch you play Celeste, I'm like, masochism isn't a game style, JP. <laughs> OT. Um, we should talk about this more later because it's a great game. and Celeste is great. If you have, if you like video games, check it out. It is a very good one. It's also indie, like the book reading. We're talking about Daniel Warren Johnson, who wrote my favorite comic and previous episode on the show, Murder Falcon, mm-hmm. which is so great. It was so great that I, I bought Extremity because I'm just like, I love this book. I want more. And this is very different mm-hmm. than, than Murder Falcon. I'm not going to lie. I love this so much. I was like... Well, I guess I have to buy my own copy of Extremity now, because I love that crap. See, I really enjoyed this one. I didn't like it as much as Murder Falcon, but that's also hard, because Murder Falcon is my favorite. Like, my numero uno. There's very few media that, like, has a favorite for me, but it's Murder Falcon. Murder Falcon definitely, like, it showcases a more refined version of all the strengths that are placed forward here in Extremity, right? Like, Daniel Warren Johnson is a phenomenal storyteller, phenomenal artist, and he's fantastic at pacing, and all that exists in Murder Falcon. But the Murder Falcon is infused with a ton of heart and a love for the subject material that can't really exist here, you know? Like, yeah. as much fun as this fantasy world is, like, you can't love it like you love Heavy Rock, right? Yeah. Well, and but, I think the other thing is, like, this was his first major comic. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the freshman attempt, like... And it's so good. So Extremity came before Murder Falcon? Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. Extremity is our intro to Daniel Warren Johnson as a professional comics creator, and it is a impressive masterclass. <laughs> he is so so good. Um, JP, do you want to talk to us a little bit about the premise of the book and like light narrative? Because okay. or and tell us about your experience with Extremity. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, so funny story. So we've got volumes one and two of Extremity. Um, and I sometimes just wake up in the middle of the night and I go out and read some comics. And the night I started reading this, I started reading volume two thinking it was volume one. 
So I read the entire volume two without realizing it was the second volume in the series. <laughs> and then after I close it and finish it, see it says volume two. I'm like, was there a one? <laughs> <laughs> I love this question. It's and, not like, oh, dang. It's like, is there? And the best thing is you've had to hop into the middle of so many comic book runs at this point that you're just like, okay, yeah, just take it take it how it is. I don't need a beginning of a story. No, yeah. I was interested because I started reading it and I'm like, whoa, they give you a lot that you kind of like piece together as you read it. And not until later, like, I, I, I don't know what to say, what not to say, but like, I, I started reading the second one after, like, well, sorry, I started reading the first volume after I read the second one. I'm like, wow, this is like a prequel. This explains all those things that, like, I knew happened from the second one, but, like, I didn't get all that detail on. I'm like, that's cool. Did it make you assess the events in volume one differently, knowing how things ended? Or do you feel like it was a pretty linear path that you would have made sense of anyway? Um... Of volume one or two? Volume. So when you went back and were reading volume one... Do you feel like there are things that you assess differently because you knew how they'd turn out? Or do you feel like the story did a good job of just aiming you in the right direction anyway? No, I think that they did a good job at aiming in the right direction. Like I like even though I'd already read the ending and what had kind of like led up the second half of that, like I couldn't predict what was kind of going going to go on in the first one. So I still like thoroughly enjoyed it and it was it, it it was weird. It was like T said, like it was like a prequel for me rather than mm-hmm. like just the first half. <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting. Um it's interesting how volume one is kind of this self-contained story and volume two is as well. But like obviously it's a continuation. Right? Yeah, it, right. Like it does leave you a little bit of a cliffhanger at the end of volume one. Um it makes me wonder though, do you think that do you like this presentation of the two separate volumes? kind of separating the book into halves or would you prefer one big book like murder falcon where it's just a straight run through um i don't know i think the two halves is kind of cool it they did have slightly different feels to them like the first one was more um introduction to a lot of different characters and stuff the second one like i i felt like i don't know i've been kind of dropped into the middle of a bunch of different stories like spider-man for example Mm -hmm. Um, I've just like picked up at a certain spot and like had to piece together a couple different characters and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, that's kind of normal for comics, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, the first one actually, when I did read it, it did introduce a lot of things and made a lot of things make sense for the second one. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I do like it partially because extremity starts off like relatively slow and then it kind of just like hits the gas mm-hmm. and it just feels like it's got like pedaled to the metal for the whole first volume and it keeps spiraling and spiraling. And you're like, there's no way that this ends well. And then the end of the story, there is like sort of a metaphorical crash as everything starts falling apart because it was just getting so heavy. And then volume two has a different, definitely a different feeling of kind of like building this back up. Mm-hmm. which is cool because that's kind of the story of the characters and you got to kind of take that journey with them. So I think I do like the two halves as they stand. What do you think of the pacing of the book? I mean, I'm, I wasn't reading this as it was coming out, so I don't know the production schedule, but 
I wonder if this was intended to be a longer form story than just 12 issues. And then it was turned into a 12 issue story when it wasn't selling as well. Like that happens a lot in comics, honestly. So like murder Falcon, it, it was a short enough story that like, it's got the exact pacing that it wants. Right. It was basically written for the trade, but I got the impression as I was reading extremity that it was like you said, the pacing is a little bit more like drawn out in volume one. And then it kind of starts hitting the gas and then things are happening really fast in volume two. And it almost seems like around issue five, it was like, okay, you're going to get 12 issues instead of, okay, you're going to get to keep going and going and going and going with this. That's the impression I got. I could totally be off base. And I don't think that's a weakness of the story, but it was an interesting thing for me to experience while I was reading along. It made me curious. See, I never never would have thought of that. So you feel like you didn't notice any weirdness in the pacing? No. But... (laughs) Sorry. That's fine. No, it's fine. And like I said, it's not a weakness. It's not this glaring fault in the book you know it yeah. just it made me curious because it did seem like such a big world to get through an entire story in 12 issues for yeah me. and see I, I definitely feel that because i feel like there's a lot of details packed into it that it doesn't tell you that you almost want there to be more you know mm-hmm. you almost wanted the ending to be a little bit more drawn out to get some more resolution on these things and to know what's happening but i also kind of feel like that wasn't the purpose the purpose of it was to kind of like the story definitely has a moral mm-hmm. and I feel like once the moral was done, even though you had this super cool world, it was kind of like, okay, congrats, you made it. And you're like, Oh, okay. I, I think I learned my lesson. I, I wish there was more. Yeah. That's something that I love about Daniel Warren Johnson's work is that like, it feels like there's a moral to the story every time, you know? Yeah. Like he writes phenomenal fantasy fiction, sci-fi he kind of almost has his own genre at this point, <laughs> but it's always trying to tell a larger story and it's there for a purpose. And I think that that that's a real strength that only some writers are able to carry. Right. Like, and there are different, different stories have different strengths, but like, I don't know that I turn to the Lord of the Rings for a moral of a story. You know, I go there for like a fantastic world to exist in for a little while and an epic story and something that that'll carry me along. But then I come to extremity or my personal favorite comic saga. And like, I can tell that there's an underlying message to the story, right? Like it's not just there to entertain me. It's there to change my mind about things, which I like. Yeah. And I think the different characters kind of show the different, um, sides of those morals as well mm-hmm. um i like the way that they portray kind of like the parents of these main protagonists as kind of like the extremes on um, i don't know one of the the themes i've seen in here like just violence is just perpetual it'll just continue if we try to solve violence with violence and so like the parents are kind of that extreme of it but then um like reading the second volume first like the first one of the first characters I'm introduced to is um, the Rolo brother. What's his name again? Uh, Rolo? Theo? Theo. Yeah, Theo. And I'm like, I like this guy. I can vibe with him. He's just like a lot more, um, I don't know. He, he, he realizes that like what his dad is doing is not in their best interest, in his own best interest. And 
he he's more forward thinking than his dad is, and so. Yeah, and it's really interesting because it there's always this problem with stories that are like super moralistic, is that sometimes it can just feel really pushy and awful. Mm-hmm. You know, when somebody's like, "Let me tell you how to think," and you're like, "How about never again? Don't ever tell me what to do." <laughs> and yeah, this is a really good job of it by showing different characters with different perspectives. So you get to make the judgment yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, like the preface of the story is there's this peaceful village and then they're attacked and the leading family, the wife gets stabbed and killed. And the daughter who is an artist has her hand chopped off by this other clan just because they're upset at them for some minor grievance. Like it, it was pretty it was kind of a painful thing, but, and so then it's this family getting revenge and the dad is just like 100% revenge. And there aren't really any judgments on that because it shows you his side of the story and lets you kind of feel why he's in so much pain and how he ended up this way. And then you've got the, the daughter Thea who also is in pain, but is different than her dad. And then you've got Rolo, the brother who doesn't like the violence. And so, and it just shows this to you and it doesn't tell you who's right ever. And I really appreciate that because it lets you empathize with multiple people and experience it for yourself. I think that this book does a really good job of demonstrating as well, like how thought differs between generations. Like I feel like that's something that we're feeling a lot in our world right now, where there's just like this generational gap where there's very little allowance on either side for the other generation, right? Like there's okay boomer and millennials are the worst, right? And there's just this massive divide and it just comes from a fundamentally different place, right? Like there's different pain for each group. There are different experiences for each group and they have the hardest time empathizing with each other. And I think that it's really interesting that this book doesn't necessarily resolve that, right? Like there isn't a big kumbaya moment at the end. There's just kind of, like things play out on the course that they've been set on and people just kind of have to live with that. And people learn to recontextualize their relationships and change how they assess other people without ever really changing. Does that make sense? Like people change, but they don't change in drastic ways away from where they started. Yeah. I feel like it gives you the chance to see the different outcomes to the different um, takes on the morals. Like, like you see the extreme outcomes because their parents don't really change. Mm -hmm. And then you also see the outcomes of um, like Thea and Rolo um, towards the end of the book, like Thea, she, she's probably the character that had the most uh, change throughout the series. Mm -hmm. She certainly has a character arc. And like, you can see like, because she's changed, like how that changed her outcome rather than like how it was at the beginning. Mm Mm-hmm. You can see kind of like what the outcome was for Rolo as well. Yeah. And so that is one thing that I really like about Daniel Warren Johnson in this book is you feel like you're getting something out of it when you read it. As fun as like just purely entertaining things are, this, I feel like rounded out my view as a person, which is great. But then you also have these super cool monster fights. Oh, they're the best. I love Kaiju. I love them. T, when he handed me this book, he's like, you're going to really like this book. There's some big monsters. And like, at first I was like, 
I am eight-year-old. But then as I read it, I was like, I am happy eight-year-old. <laughs> like when a giant mech fights a giant kaiju, I'm like, man, this is going to be a good book, ain't it? Yeah. Like, it made me want to go watch Pacific Rim, which I've never seen. But I was like, <laughs> maybe that's onto something. Kaiju versus big monster versus big robot. Hmm. Oh, I think there's definitely something to it. It's just like this book definitely has a coolness factor that it just takes up to 11, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, like the battle robot just punching the giant Leviathan in the face. While, while is... you, Dallas, may be eight, year old, eight years old inside, I'm not entirely sure that Daniel Warren Johnson isn't also eight years old inside. <laughs> it's just kind of like, I feel like Daniel Warren Johnson has this fun action figure eight-year-old brain and no one to tell him no and enough talent to make it beautiful, if that makes sense. He's like, and then the robot's going to punch out at the monster. And then the depth is going to back it up, you know? I know. It's so good. And his art just just does such an amazing... It carries so much of this story. You know, like a word... Someone with less talent couldn't pull off what he pulls off, honestly. These big kaiju monsters, they have, like, this complexity and this... They look like the... The result of nuclear fallout, honestly, in like a very realistic way. You know, it seems like this world could actually be happening. Like this could be what the world looks like post nuclear fallout, right? Mm-hmm. So, question: Do you guys have a favorite monster? Oh, dude, just the three-headed dragon for sure. Okay, not just me then. Yeah, and I so love cool. the three-headed dragon. And how the three heads are different? Mwah, beautiful. See, outstanding. I, I love the Storm Leviathan. It was also cool. Look at all those eyes. It's got eyes on its lower jaw. Marvelous. <laughs> outstanding. 10 out of 10. And see, that's one of the things that I really love about Daniel Warren Johnson is it's like there's so much imagination and creativity behind these really solid stories. Do you know what's super interesting? I feel like... I Have you read any of Wonder Woman Dead Earth yet, T? No, but I want to. <laughs> I'm not going to want it to be finished so I can get it all at once. I feel like Wonder Woman Dead Earth is him being like, you know what? You guys didn't read Extremity? F you. I'm telling Extremity again, but with a, an audience that you're going to have to listen to me. Because, like, it's certainly, I mean, it's different. It has different themes, different purposes. And, again, that's the magic of the Daniel Warren Johnson thing, right? Because at its core, Extremity is about people fighting big freaky monsters. And then Murder Falcon is about people fighting, you guessed it, big freaky monsters. And Wonder Woman Dead Earth, oh boy, three for three. It's about people fighting big freaky monsters because that's what he loves. It's what I love. It makes me love him. Yeah. All three of those books have a different message. All three of those books are saying different things about humanity all out of the same setting. And it's magic, baby. I guess if you don't like kaiju, go find a Godzilla movie. Watch that. That'll convert you. Okay. And then come back and read Daniel Warren Johnson because it's so fun. Or I feel like you probably just read Daniel Warren Johnson and just be like, just try and enjoy the big monsters. Mm-hmm. They're fun. But yeah, when I was reading this, I was like, Dallas is going to love this. <laughs> They're so fun. Um, let's talk about how good his art is for a first showing. You know, like, I don't know very many people that come on to the scene with this crisp of line work, with this ability to have like their own design. I don't know anyone else that draws like Daniel Warren Johnson, you know, he has such a distinct style of his own, but like, it's not messy. It's not, 
I don't know. It's it seems perfect to me. Is it just me? No, I think especially like because he does a lot with monsters and a lot with I guess like battle and stuff, I think he does such a great job with the action shots. What a page. When the flip it when the robot is staring down the giant monster. I love the full like the full two page Oh, part. the two page spreads are amazing in this yeah. book. I want every single one of them up on my wall. Right now, we're going to date ourselves a little bit, but everyone's doing creator creators for comics commissions on Twitter right now where they put up this really beautiful piece of art and they're like, all right, it's an auction. I have had to use so much self-control to not buy all the beautiful <laughs> art. Like I bid on all of them and then they get up to be like $1,200 and I'm like, no, no. And I'm like, you've paid off your credit card. It's all just sitting there. You could do it. And I'm like, no. I have to look myself in the eyes and not let me, but like I would kill for a Daniel Warren Johnson piece of big monster versus something I like, you know, it's just beautiful. He does some cool commissions too. He does like star Wars commissions commissions and extremity commissions. Yeah. So if you're listening to this, Daniel Warren Johnson, we love you. We'd love to have you on the podcast and we would love for you to do a commission for us. And yeah, this is a, a promotion of him, but he also just started a YouTube channel that you can go and he does like drawing tutorials because he's a good guy. He is. We, we really like you. I'm going to tag you in this on Twitter. So you listen, because we love your work and you're important to us. <laughs> um, also, I just really like the colors that like, that's something I've been able to notice a little bit more. Like as I read mm-hmm. like different, um, different series will have different, colors that'll give it different i don't know feels to it yeah colors are the unsung heroes of comic books yeah and i like i don't know i I can't quite describe but like the colors that he uses helps just give like a certain life to it there's almost like this pastel color palette yeah that adds a lot of richness to the world mm-hmm. yeah they do a really good job of like even though there are pastel colors like it'll have this is just a random panel, but it's got this yellow sound effect on this purple background. And so they aren't very bright colors, but it still creates so much tension and energy just because of the opposition of these two colors. That, yeah, I think that's a good way to describe it. Like just the color combinations that he uses do such a great job at complementing each other for like backgrounds. And then the color that he uses for sound effects and, light and dark i don't know really adds a lot to it some something that i think a lot of people could do a better job at that daniel warren johnson does a phenomenal job at is he knows when to make the backgrounds busy and when to make the backgrounds simple so for instance when he's trying to convey the scope of something like they're walking into this big hollowed out room that's the remnant of the ancient world basically and it's such a busy panel. Like, there's so many details in the background because it's trying to convey this is a huge, dense place where they're going to learn a lot of things, right? But then during action, the background either becomes a singular pastel color or a blurred out background so that, to emphasize speed. And you have to focus on the action that's happening. Mm. There are no distractions in the background. And he does such a good job of bouncing back and forth between complex and simple backgrounds to help you focus on what's going on on panel or what's going on in the world. And that's, it's so, so, so good. 
Yep. Heavens. Great book. <laughs> um, I think a big strength I of it. Ext- we've only said nice things at this point. And I, I don't see that stopping. Yeah, there isn't going to be a surprise twist where we talk badly about the book. Um, I think a really big strength of this book as well is the show don't tell world building of it all. I think that's something I would love to talk about because it's, it's so good. I think the only things that are comparable for me would be perhaps, I mean, saga comes to mind for me. I know second time I've referenced it. I love saga. It does a phenomenal job of just dropping you in the middle of a book and letting you catch up along the way. Um, I'm trying to think of novels that are that way. I mean, maybe Dune, but Dune also kind of info dumps at times, so you understand like the Ben Gisera. Yeah, and it's also a different feel, just because with a visual and text media, it can put visual things in that it never brings up, and a novel can't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, like in this, the different tribes, they all have marks over their left eye that identify with them with their tribe, and they put it over their armor. And it never brings that up mm-hmm. ever. It never like explains it, but you just see, Oh, this tribe, they all have circles. The main tribe, they all have s- rectangles and there's some people who have like triangles, but mm-hmm. it never explains that. And it doesn't need to. And you pick it up yourself, which mm-hmm. is, is nice. It makes you feel like an adult and it's not, yeah. like it's not holding your hand. It also never explains how we got to this world but it shows you little bits and pieces along the way of how our world that we live in now became this world that they live in. I'm assuming in the distant future, I guess we'll see how history plays out. It's a pretty far distant future, but yeah. Right. It's like way far post-apocalyptic. It like, because it's such a war um, driven culture at the time, like writing and books and stuff like that aren't hardly being used at all. There's a few characters that, do take importance to them. And so like, they'll tell you about how even in old writings and old pictures and stuff, like it'll show that war has just been what's driven the world to be the way it is now. Yeah. Which I love the bit where what's the robot's name again? Shiloh. Good for me. Um, It's literally a Hebrew name, but I love when Shiloh, comes in contact with old literature and you know he comes in talk, contact with guns and he's like mm-hmm. i figured i was the first thing that humanity created to kill each other and just like the weight of that statement really sat and it felt like one of the statements that the book was trying to make the like violence is kind of a part of humanity and that's not a good thing yeah especially if we let it be yeah really really love it we'll be back right after this to keep talking about it. Man, man, what an ad read. That was, that was beautiful. Really? You're all welcome back. Also, thanks to me for putting in new sound effects to make that a less awkward transition. Go me. Before we hop back into it, we need to address the banging that's happening in the background of this. We promise no one's having sex next door. We're not we're not doing that while we podcast. We're, it's either roofers for our apartment complex, or maybe someone next door is having sex. We don't know. I'm going to assume like replacing no. Replacing the floor, I don't know. But yeah, that consistent thump, thump, thump you hear in the background, 
I don't have the talents to take that out in the audio, so you're just going to have to deal with it. Um, just ignore it and listen to us, you sweet, sweet 15 people that listen to this. But so another thing, going back to the show, don't tell that I really loved about this story is there are characters that are minor characters that are so well fleshed out. Like, is his name Hob or Hob? Okay. So the friend who's with the eye patch. Oh, yeah. It's like he's this minor character that helps their dad, the village chief. And he's not huge, but he has his own motivations, his own backstory. Like, I think he references his family at some point. And mm-hmm. I love that the story is so good that even this kind of like right hand man of the leader has such a character. And it reminds me a little bit of Game of Thrones in that sense that it's kind of like all the characters are like really well fleshed out and have their own motivations and they work together well. I love that nobody is a caricature either. Yeah. Like everyone is multifaceted and decisions are being made throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love that. I mean, we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but with the generational gap, the generations aren't stereotypes are the same either, right? Like Thea has a much different reaction to the violence that her father is perpetuating and her experience in the past than Rolo does, right? And they're able to represent different reactions to the same form of trauma. And I honestly, I, I love both characters. It's really interesting to see them grow but to also see them stay consistent throughout the story, if that makes sense. Yeah. So fantastic characters, which we, we've seen before with Daniel Warren Johnson, but still love them, and you'll love them too. Did we have a favorite? Did we have favorite characters Ooh. in the story? Oh, Rolo is my favorite. Well, you are Rolo, so that makes sense. JP's like, I like the character that was me. <laughs> What's her name? The queen. What was her name? With the green. Yeah. The green, the yeah. Green she was the worst. The the sort of paramour to. See, like even though um, our Rolo and Thea's mother. dad was really. He he was very um, revenge driven, and so like he was up to doing any kind of violence to get his revenge, which I can't agree with either. But I can sympathize with more. Whereas the queen, she was just. She just felt like straight evil to me. Like, you're an inconvenience to me, so I should wipe you out your entire tribe. See, for me, she kind of represented, like, this sort of clan loyalty that people can get, where it's like an an us versus them mentality, where she was like, I only care about me and mine. Anyone that gets in the way of that, anyone that threatens that, I will destroy. And she had the sort of the visceral and visual reminder of that with her daughter's face that was marred during an attack by the them in her equation, right? Well, yeah, it was like a border yeah. dispute and her daughter's face got burned. And her name is Queen Nim. Queen Nim, that's right. And Queen Nim just seems for me to encapsulate that kind of hate that can fester when you refuse to see another group as human beings, but only as them versus you. Okay, and I can I can definitely see that. I think part of that is uh, because I read it out of order. I didn't get as much context on the daughter thing, like what, mm-hmm. why she was so peeved about that, and so yeah, I can I can definitely see that more. Um, 
but I still feel like I sympathize more with the dad, with uh, him having his family taken away from him and destroyed and him seeking out revenge for that rather than the, I don't know, her, us versus them mentality. Oh yeah, I don't. I don't think that we're meant to empathize. You know, like what? Nim is a better person right. than. But at Abba. the same time, like you were saying earlier, like I love how they let you choose, and like they don't say this is the right mentality to have. Like this character was the way you should think. It's like they give you the different sides of it with each of the different characters. And there definitely is a case to be made that it's kind of like the dad caused more violence than Nim in the end, because Nim basically attacked their home, and like exacted her revenge but then the dad is like full-on quest destroy the road wait no they're the roto destroy this other clan we're going to take everything from them i don't care how far it's willing to go but i will end this and so there's a case to be made that he's a more violent one but you you do feel for him more Mm -hmm. because he got punched first so your favorite character was rollo how about you t who's your favorite character i really like shiloh yeah, I think Shiloh was probably my favorite. He is the the robot that they found, and he was a really cool character because you can really see that he, he's a battle robot, but he doesn't like the fact that he is, and he's trying to get away from from violence, but he's willing to hurt to protect his friend Rolo, who set him who got him working again. I I really thought he was a fascinating character, especially when you're like, oh, a robot. But then it's like, whoa, a really fleshed out character robot. That's that's really nice. It's also interesting that like he's removed from about half of the book, but he still shines as one of the main characters. You yeah. know, it's like the moments that you do have with Shiloh are very impactful. Plus he looks dope. He does. His outfit's super cool. He reminds like me. it's the best dressed robot I've ever seen. <laughs> it's true he reminded me of the J I've never seen the movie but the promo art for J.J. Abrams like Sector 9 or whatever that movie was about the robots oh yeah yeah isn't that what it's called no Sector District 9, 9 or or District something. 9 Sector 9's a longboarding company it's <laughs> District 9 <laughs> it's a choking tax I've been doing that a lot lately where I pick synonyms and make worse names for things but um, I think my favorite character was probably Thea. I mean, I know she's the main character of the book, but I really liked her arc of basically like being this creative person that's coming to terms with not being able to create anymore and trying to like reassess who you are after like when you're sort of forced to, you know, like she wasn't allowed to stay on the same character arc and she had to redefine who she was. And I think that's something I can empathize with a lot right now and speaks to me where I feel like I've had to evolve who I am a number of times. Right. And I feel like I'm trying to find myself a decent amount. And so to see her dealing with that and realizing that like you can fill different roles at different times in your life really spoke to me and it really made me enjoy her as a character and I, I mean, I also love a good redemption arc, right? Like I yeah. love, I love the dip in the middle and the comeback for her. Whereas I feel like a lot of other people stayed on their regular trajectory, which is admirable as well. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's what the story is about, you know, is that some people change in certain circumstances and others don't. So what do you feel like is the big moral of the story? We made passing reference to 
there being morals, but if you had to write an English paper on what Moby Dick is about, what extremity is actually about, do you think it's a story about revenge? Do you think it's a story about people's relationships with violence, about family dynamics, redemption? I'm happy to talk about this, but I just want people to know we're about to put words to something that we previously praised so well for not not saying it straight up. But we're about to, but these are ours. Uh, do you have one in mind, Dallas? While I think a little bit. Um, I mean, I feel like this story was definitely about violence and people's relationship with violence, and I don't know that it was necessarily anti-violence, anti-war. In the same way that, again, here it is, third time, Saga. I'm going to pump it, but Saga is like very clear anti-war. And it doesn't hide the fact that it's anti-war. But I think that this story is about people's relationships with violence. And how violence can just changes people. Sometimes for the better, oftentimes for the worse. And how it can drive people to either become, again, better or worse because of it. And I think the statement by Shiloh about just how perpetual violence has been for humankind is a really astute observation. And it's something that we have to come to terms with and decide what our relationship with violence is going to be like. Yeah. And I especially love that because it does talk about violence, but it's, it's about the people, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not like Shiloh, this weapon of mass destruction is the problem. It's like, no, these people have to look at themselves and say, I'm perpetuating this, and how can I stop it? And how can I stop it? And that is a really big theme, especially in the second volume, is how do you stop it when violence is being perpetuated? Right. I feel like we all have different conflicts in our life, and this world is set up where like, violence has been the way to solve conflicts for decades for for longer than like the history really allows and it's just an endless cycle if that it continues to be the solution that you have um and i like how it shows that violence doesn't have to be the answer like it can be i mean that's the answer that a lot of the different characters go to it's like well this is the way we can solve our problem but i don't know they they have several different characters that show different sides to that. It's not always has to be that way. Yeah. And see, if for me, I feel like the, the theme that really hit me and kind of what I'd say this is about the moral is honestly change mm-hmm. and that you can change and it doesn't really matter what happened in the past which I really liked about that because this book never makes any judgments about the people and the things that they're doing. It's just kind of like, we're all just trying to find peace and happiness and we all have some wound, something, some injustice, and we can hold on to that for so long, but you'll never change doing that. And if you do find a way to let it go and move on and do that, then you'll be a better person and you'll be happier. And I feel like that was kind of the story. And I feel like the violence definitely had a lot to do with that. But it was more about how the people reacted to that. I like that a lot. Um, yeah. 
I remember there was a line that one of the characters had in there. It's like a hand for a hand and you'll end up with neither. It's like, it, it really is about learning to change and change the cycle instead of letting it continue and finding new ways to do things to make it better. Yeah, I would agree. And I think that's cool that the book is able to carry that many themes throughout it, you know? Yeah. And the, it's funny because it's like, it seemed like rather straightforward to me, like, oh yeah, this definitely has like a message, but then we all got different things out of it, which is really cool. It also really, I don't know. I felt like it also had a big theme of um, fam, like, like we were talking about us versus them there's the different tribes that I think are a big part of the story um, without going a couple pages. And you'll notice there's the red rectangle tribe and then there's the green circle tribe and there's the yellow triangle tribe that nobody really, they don't really talk about in there, but you kind of wonder about. Um, and it sets up the like, well, if, if you're just somebody from the other tribe, that means I'm against you, which I thought was interesting. I don't know. It's easy in fiction to like put a mark on people and be like, look, it's, it's the Sneetches and the Starbellied Sneetches. How ridiculous are they for liking each other for this arbitrary difference? Right. It's like there, we recently watched an episode of Rick and Morty where they went to this planet where there were a bunch of snakes that were like basically playing out the evolutionary chains of humanity. So they like bumped into the snakes like as they were making it to the moon. Like, oh man, we look more into these snakes and turns out they're super racist. They just, they hate each other based on the color of their scales. And Morty's like, ah, how stupid is that? Ah, I don't like you because you're the wrong colored snake. And then they just both turned and looked at the screen for like 20 seconds. We're just like, hey, that's really stupid. They hate, hate the snakes because they're the wrong colored snakes. And it's like, ooh, like tribalism, it exists in our world too, you know? Yeah. And it's not always pretty. I think a final point to make about this book are some of the religious themes. Yeah. Like, Did you guys notice those as much when you were reading it? I certainly noticed the Hebrew words. And I mean, it's, there's clearly like, and I feel like this book is very influenced by Judaism in all honesty. Yeah. Like, I mean, Shiloh, I made mention of this earlier, but it's, it's a Hebrew name. And it's not, it doesn't necessarily have like a particular meaning, but it's assigned to messianic figures. So like, it's interesting that this, this robot is, is almost like this messianic deliverer figure that comes and affects enough change in the world to, at the end, we see that there is, there's a major shift in what the culture is like for these tribes because of Shiloh coming and he came first as a lamb and then as a kaiju. <laughs> and that's how I'm going to translate those verses from now on. I think that was really interesting. Yeah. Well, and also it does feel very, like you mentioned the, the tooth for a tooth quote. That's literally from the Bible. Yeah. Where that was the way that they had it set up and why that didn't work. And in the second volume, there's, there's a big theme of atonement and it, it feels almost kind of, I definitely got Christianity vibes in there because it kind of has a theme of somebody taking on somebody else's pain and being self-sacrificing to 
to stop the cycle. Yeah, I guess I just got Moses from it, like paschal lamb putting blood on one thing too, which again is where Christianity got it from. Yeah. But it's it's very it's certainly Judeo Christian, and I think that that was an interesting strain. Yeah, and it is, but then it's like it's not pushed at all. No, no, like it's. You're not going to be, you're not reading a religious book. <laughs> yeah. Like, don't worry. You're like, I'm an atheist. I can't go into this. It's like, no, it's actually done in a way that feels very natural. So, and, and not pushy, but the whole book isn't pushy. So yeah. Except for the monsters. They're, they're, they're a little bit pushed on you. <laughs> but in a beautiful way, we love the monsters. I, I loved extremity. How about you guys? I, I feel like I'd give this one like an, 8.75 out of 10. I think it was phenomenal. I think it was really, really great. And I'm realizing more and more how hard it is for me to give something a 9 or a 10. No matter how much I like it. Oh, yeah? 8.75 for this Is book. Saga a 10 for you? Saga is a 10 for me. Yeah. Okay, I was about to say, because if Saga isn't, then I don't know that anything ever will be. <laughs> Saga's a 10. <laughs> I think I gave Murder Falcon a 10. If I remember right. Oh, yeah. I think you may have. I think and they were like, but I think I like four kids walk into a bank a little bit. Four kids walk into a bank is the best book <laughs> ever after Saga. <laughs> but they're different. They're different. How about you, T? How I think I'd, I'd give this one an eight out of ten, which is funny because like I really did enjoy it, and so I don't know why I'm 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 not committing those last points to it. I think it's almost that we didn't get to stay long enough for me, honestly. Like, I feel like if this had been like a 18 issue story and I gotten to sit in the world a little longer, would have liked it more. But that's just me being nitpicky. And I think I guess at the end of the day, it's kind of like I feel like it is stinking great, and there aren't minuses to it. But it still didn't quite impact me quite as much as like Murder Falcon or some other things. Yeah, so. there's not like the X factor that makes it a ten. Right. Um, I give it a solid eight and a half. Um, I, I really did enjoy it. I do love comics that come with a, a moral and values. And like, this isn't even one that I, I don't know, I think of very strongly, but like I could tell what they were trying to get you to ponder on a bit. And I, 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 I think they did a great job at that. And so I don't know if I had a 10 right now, it'd probably be Superman up in the sky. And so just comparing it to that, like I, I the I, I really resonated with the values on that one. And I think I also agree with you on I would probably put extremity a bit higher up if they had more to flesh it out. Um I remember finishing the second volume, which was the first one that I read, and thinking like, wow, they have a lot that they can do with this. Like I wouldn't be surprised if they have another one. And lo and behold, they did, the first one. <laughs> I mean, and it is a really cool <laughs> world, you know? Yeah. We didn't talk at all about the airships or the giant monsters that the guy had trained and how they rode them into battle or how the whole world is set on these floating planes and yeah. that's the only place that people can live because way down on the ground, they call it like the deep or the dark something. And it, there's just there's so great many darkness, monsters. Which is like all, where all the kaijus are at. And, and so yeah. it's like this really cool world and we... It's a way cool world. Yeah, I... I mean, only scratch the surface of it. I mean, where volume one was a prequel for you, I would love a prequel to this where it's like when the islands were rising and when the kaiju were showing yeah. up, like that'd be fascinating. That, that would so, be awesome. so cool. Yes. Yeah. So if you ever write more extremity, 
we'll we'll read it. We'll read. Yeah, send us send us a copy of it, and we will give it a glowing review. Um, with all that, we'll wrap up. Um, just a reminder. We would love to hear from you. It seems like we have a pretty consistent little listener base at this point. So if you have questions or suggestions for us, we'll read them off on the show. Send them to us at dtrcomics at gmail.com or go ahead and tweet at us. We are on Twitter as comic at comics DTR. We have a new logo, which you'll probably notice when you click on this. Thank you to my wonderful fiance for being good at graphic design and making that for us. And we'll be back next week to talk all about Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale's masterpiece, Spider-Man Blue. Thanks. Bye. Bye. See you.